Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. All right, so it's time for another edition of the award-winning Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. I don't know what award we've won, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Uh, Greg, for this episode this week, we're going to take a look at the AFC East. We might get into a little bit of Cassius Marsh. We'll see. (laughs) <laughs> but let's start off with the uh, Buffalo Bills. When you look at this division, a lot of people would say that the Bills are the heavy favorites. Do you agree with that assessment, Greg Bedard? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't think that's going to shock anybody. But um, look, I, are the Bills really talented? Yeah, they are. Um, did they deserve to win the AFC East last year? Yeah. But if the Patriots get better quarterback play last year, does it really end up the same way? I mean, remember, in the first matchup between the two teams in Buffalo, the Patriots had the Bills on the ropes, and then Cam Newton got the ball punched out. I mean, you look at the stats from the game, and I put this in my column a couple weeks ago when I looked at the Bills. I mean, the stats were almost exactly the same on both sides, and that's with you know Josh Allen, the greatest quarterback in the league, apparently, and uh, the, the greatest show on turf that he's surrounded by. I mean, he had – this is uh, – New England's passing stats were 15 of 25, 174 yards. Josh Allen's stats were 11 of 18, 154 yards in an in interception. So that first matchup, very close. The Patriots, in my mind, should have won that game. Cam Newton doesn't get the ball punched out. They probably go in for a touchdown. They rip the heart out of the Bills. The Bills may might not recover the rest of the season, but we do know that Cam Newton – Uh, got the ball punched out. We know who was never the same after that. Right. And look, the Bills came in here and dusted the Patriots the second time around. I wouldn't put much stock in that. We all knew that the Patriots were finished at that point in time. They played like it. So, you know, off of last year, the big difference was the quarterback play. Will it change this year? I don't know. But in terms of we do know that the Patriots have really increased their talent from what they brought in. The Bills didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, you know, they basically, their big addition was Emmanuel Sanders, who replaced John Brown, who they let go. Uh, old friend, uh, tight end Jacob Hollister is oh. back. He, re- <laughs> he hey, replaces Jacob. Tyler Croft. What were you going to say? No, I just wanted to say, hey, Jacob, how you doing? How's it going? <laughs> hey, a guy I wanted back at the trade deadline last year. Yeah, uh, we got we got Mitch Trubisky in Buffalo, um, <laughs> who I'm sure Patriots fans are like, 
Yes. Mitch, rub that mojo all over Josh Allen. Like, get next to him in meetings, you know, cough on him a little bit. Like, get whatever you have, pass it on to Josh Allen because that's what we need. Um, and look, they took two edge rushers in the first couple rounds, uh, Gregory Rousseau and Carlos, uh, I think his nickname is like Bam Basham. Um, but outside of that, they didn't really add a whole lot. Now, look, did they need to add a whole lot? No. And normally when you don't add much in the offseason, that's really, really good news. Uh, but I have some questions about this Bills team, starting with their offensive line. I'm not sure how good they are. They couldn't stop the run at all last year. And basically their their way to solve that was to welcome back star Latulier from COVID opt-out. And he's a good player when he's right. But he's not that good. That I mean, they were they were terrible against the run last year, which which helped the Patriots. And then I do think that they're weak at cornerback outside of Tre'Davious White. So I I I think that the Bills are are ripe for the taking for the right team. I think the Patriots have the formula to take them down. And look, let's be honest: the big X factor is does Josh Allen revert to the mean? I mean, because what he did last year is completely out of character to his high school, college, and first couple of years in the NFL. Right? Is, did he just did the light go on, and that's who he is, and he's and he's great? Because there's no no question that he's uber talented and could do everything at the quarterback position that you want. Or was he sort of inflated by not having fans in the stands and things like that? I, I you know, was was that sort of the aberration. And so, you know, you put all those things together, Nick, I think, and I'm not just, I'm not a Patriots homer. Everybody knows that. And I wouldn't just be saying this. I do think that the Patriots, if they get good quarterback play, I think that they, they can contend with the bills all season long. And I think that the AFC East could be really tight. I think the Bills are the favorites. They've got the best quarterback in the yeah. division. And as we know, when you look across the NFL, Usually, if you have the best quarterback in the division, that gives you the best chance to win. So I would say they're the favorites. I don't like the word heavy. I don't know if they're significant favorites, heavy favorites, huge favorites. I would say they're favorites. I think they can be better defensively. Milano had some injury issues last yep. year. He should help if he's out there for all 17. Their offensive line has been somewhat inconsistent. If you look at pro football focus, they have them in the top half. They've got them at like 13 or 14 as far as rankings go for that offensive line. So I do think they have some room to grow up front, but they're not flawless. And there is opportunity, Greg, as you point out. The biggest thing to me is Josh Allen and Brian Daybowl. Will they suffer some kind of regression? If you look mm -hmm. in past years when quarterbacks have historic years for their own careers, right, when they have their career best seasons and all of that, it's very difficult to follow up on that season with another incredible, impeccable season. So I would expect Allen and Dable to both take a slight step back. I'm not saying a huge step back, significant step back, but I do think that Allen will not be as good as he was a year ago. I do think the league will adjust to him. He will have to adjust to those adjustments. So if you expect at least a slight regression from the offense, that means, as you pointed out, you need more from the defense and you need more from other aspects of your football team. This run game last year was incredibly inconsistent. They need to run the football every single week. They need to be consistent in the backfield. 
They need their defense to be consistent. As you pointed out, they need their defense to be consistent, especially against the run. And when you look at that schedule, I know I touched on this a little bit on the last podcast, but if you look at that schedule for the Bills, it's pretty difficult through the beginning of the schedule and then from you know November right before Thanksgiving to late December. They have a very, very difficult road. So do I think they're the favorites? Yes, I do. Do I think they are a significant favorite, a gigantic gap from them to the rest of the division? I think some of that has been over, you know, talked about. And, and I think mm-hmm. we, we overrate them just a little bit. I think they're I think they're good. I think they could be arguably the third or fourth best team in the AFC this year, but they need pretty much everything to go right for that to happen. When you look at the rest of this division, let's look at Miami, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that's next team new england fans are looking at buffalo first miami second the jets third that that's where your priorities lie within this division so let's look at miami let's look at some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses greg that you see from that football team last year i believe they won 10 games they did not get into the playoffs yep. uh, which is very difficult to do in a 16 game schedule usually when you win 10 games you got a great shot they missed out but they did win 10 games what do you make of the Dolphins heading into 2021? You got to start with Tua. And look, now he's on an island. I mean, at least last year they had Ryan Fitzpatrick around who, you know, they did sort of engage. He started the year, then they put in Tua, and Tua struggled, and Fitzpatrick got in the game. And then suddenly with the game, with the season on the line in the season finale against Buffalo, basically winner in winner done. And Fitzpatrick tested positive for COVID. He was not available, and Tua stunk up the joint. I mean, they got they got killed by the Bills yep. in a meaningless game for the Bills. Yep. And uh, Tua threw like three interceptions, and uh, you know he was he was awful in the game. And if Fitzpatrick was available, Tua would have been pulled probably in the first quarter. And now there's no net. Jacoby Brissett was brought in as the backup, but you know he's not really a threat to win a whole lot of games if it doesn't work out with Tua. So they, you know, they're putting all their chips on Tua. And I think that that might be a little bit of trouble. Now, look, he's going to have a lot to throw to. He's got Devontae Parker. Gusecki's a good tight end. They brought in Will Fuller and drafted Jalen Waddle. So there is talent there. Depends on how much you believe in Will Fuller. I don't believe in Will Fuller very much. His, his hamstring is bound to pop at some point and he'll be down for three or four games. He's already suspended for week one for PEDs. Um, he has not played more than 11 games since his rookie season. That's a lot to bet on that guy. I will say, Nick, about the Dolphins, I think their defense is excellent. Um, even with Josh Boyer as the defensive coordinator there, who I'm not the biggest fan of, that there's a lot of talent on that defense on all three levels. They are a little bit leaky against the run, and I think the Patriots stealing uh, Devon Godchow from them was key and you know might weaken them a little bit. But uh, the offensive line, and basically we're going to say it for almost – all three of these other teams. And this is where I think the Patriots have a big advantage. I think that they, if you look at all the teams in the division and you stacked them all up, you would say the Patriots are far and above the best offensive line. And now with all the, the all the changes they made in the offseason, they might be the best up front on the defensive line. And if you believe in that, 
And I do. That's a good sign for the Patriots because I don't think the Dolphins' offensive line is very good. I don't think the the Jets' offensive line is all that good, even with Becton and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who they drafted on the left side. I think there's a lot of holes there. I think the Dolphins have a lot of holes there. Um, and here's the other thing, and it's an X factor, Nick, when it comes to the Dolphins. You now have, when it comes to like Kyle Van Noy and Ted Karras, and there might be a couple other guys who went down to Coach Flores down there in Miami. And especially when you're Kyle Van Noy, let's let's be honest. Um, he got screwed over by the Dolphins and Flores. They signed him to a contract, and after one year, and he did exactly what he did here down yeah. there, and they cu- basically cut his ass. So he's got a lot of motivation, and you know how much Kyle Van Noy talks and how he's going to be in the ear of all those guys all week when it's Dolphins week. Him and and I know Ted Karras did not enjoy his Dolphins experience as well. So I think the Patriots have a little bit something for the Dolphins personally this year. And I think when you combine that, I I like the Patriots to finish ahead of the Dolphins this year. I mean, that and also the Tua factor, look, the Dolphins... Dolphins are a good, solid team, and they'll win their share of games. But I think there are issues with the quarterback, with the offensive line, um, their run defense, plus the intangibles. I like the I like the Patriots over the Dolphins this year. The strength of this team, to me, for Miami is the secondary. They've got a very talented yep. secondary. They've got two stud corners, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, out there on the outside. Uh, they drafted Javon Holland in the second round. He'll play safety. Uh, they have a lot of talent in that secondary. As you mentioned, they have talent really at all three levels on the defense, but it really does begin and end with Tua. And what I would say about this team is they're banking on their youth to make big leaps. First with Tua. I hate how they handled him last year. Can't yep. stand it. They sat him for the first several games. You had Ryan Fitzpatrick playing literally some of the best football he's ever played. If you look at statistically, He was playing some of the best football he had ever played in his NFL career, if not the best football, over about four or five weeks. And at that point, they decide to sit him. So they they bench Fitzpatrick, who was playing great. They throw Tua in. And listen, if you're going to make that move, then you stand by the move and you keep Tua in. You have to live and die by Tua. Once you make that move to him, he's a top five pick. He's your future at quarterback. You can't be pulling him in and out of games. And they did it twice. They benched him twice. And as you mentioned, that last game of the year was a debacle. Now Mm -hmm. he comes into this year, and there are questions to me, right? Some of the team, when the season was over, they were talking to the media, Armando Salguero down there in Miami. There were several players. They, of course, went anonymously, but there were several players talking about Tua and how he didn't look good at practice, and they had questions about him, et cetera, et cetera. And then you bring in all of this talent, which is good for him, but the offensive coordinator situation, you and I have talked about this. Brian Flores changes OCs like he changes underwear. He, he doesn't know what he wants to do on that side of the football. First, it was O'Shea. Then it was Gailey. Now they have not one but two offensive coordinators because I guess if you can't get it right with one guy, try two, and maybe one of them will work out. I don't know who's calling the plays. So what's happening here is there's a lot of new, right, for Tua. Tua's going to learn a new playbook. Uh, It's been said by some of the Dolphins players on offense that this is a completely different system than what they ran last year. 
So this will be Tua's third offense in three years with a rookie play caller, with a bunch of new guys that he hasn't played with a ton, right? I mean, obviously, he's got the college experience with Waddle, but you're bringing Fuller. I don't know about their run game. I don't know if Miles Gaskin is the guy to sit here and rave about. And most of all, when you talk about the offensive line, Greg, which you hit on, not much to add other than this. They brought in three young guys last year. They weren't good. The offensive line struggled mightily. They need pretty much all of their young offensive linemen to take a big step. If they yep. get that big step collectively, the offensive line has a chance. But you're banking on a lot of youth up front, and you're banking on Tua. And if Tua doesn't play well this year, get ready. If Deshaun Watson's back in the league, if Aaron Rodgers still wants out, if Russell Wilson's having issues with P.T. Carroll as he's chomping his gum on the sidelines, get ready because I think Miami might be looking for a quarterback if Tua is not good this year. So a lot of questions about the Dolphins. I agree with you. I like New England better than Miami right now. Let's wrap it up in the division with the Jets. What say you about Robert Sala and that organization right now as we head into the season? Yeah, Nick, I think that when you talk about the Jets, they they sort of had a mini Patriots offseason plan where they added a lot in free agency. I think they spent yeah. the fourth most in guaranteed money. And look, they got talent. Um, Carl Lawson from the Bengals defensive end, uh, wide receiver Corey Davis, who a lot of Patriots fans wanted. Um, I'll just tell you this right now. The Patriots had zero interest in Corey Davis. They just – I can't give you specifics, but I just know that they – he was not on their list, and that's why they went straight for Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and just passed over Corey Davis. Corey Davis was out there for a long time. They could have signed, and they passed yeah. on him. Sheldon Rankins, uh, the nose tackle from the Saints, a good player when he's healthy. Jared Davis, the linebacker from the Lions. Um, Vinny Curry, LaMarcus Joyner. Um, look, I – we could make the same criticisms that I'm about to make about the Jets and their free agent class about the Patriots because the Patriots, their signings weren't exactly high in production, which is which is what you're trying to do. You're trying to get guys getting into their prime. So the 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 price tag isn't that high. Um Lawson's never really been a full-time player in Cincy. Is he ready for that? Um Corey Davis, there are a lot of questions around the league on whether he can be like a number one. Um, Rankins is hurt all the time. Um, talented, but hurt all the time. Davis undersized, good football player. I love Vinny Curry. I think he's the oldest guy now on the jets, but he, he only signed for like a million something. And I think he's, I think he's going to be a really good signing for him. LaMarcus Joyner stinks. No matter where you put him in the secondary <laughs> the, the teams, teams have tried cornerback safety, whatever. He's just not, he's, he, he does not live up, um, to his reputation. Um, so, you know, I start there, and, and how are they going to fit those puzzle pieces? And then you go into, I think their first four draft picks, when you talk about Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, the slot receiver, who I think a lot of the Patriots draft Nick community, probably including you, Nick, uh, really wanted the Patriots to get in the second round. Apparently, he's been unbelievable in the offseason practices. And, you know, running back Michael Carter, who's a good player, uh, they brought in a lot of talent, and they have a new coach in Robert Sala. The, the word on the street is that he is going to play the kids all over the place. Um, that could, I think, that means a step back for them this year. I mean, I don't know how far you can go back from two and fourteen, but somewhere in the same area. 
Um, and, and so I think they've had a lot of changes. One thing you could definitely say about the Jets, and you could say it about all the teams in this division, really outside of the Patriots, is they have a ton of talent at wide receiver that they might even be looking to get rid of some. I know, you know, they had Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder last year, but Mims was running with the second team in practices. They signed Keelan Cole. They have Elijah Moore. Uh, they they have a lot of stuff for Zach Wilson to throw to. But like I mentioned earlier, is Zach Wilson going to be upright to find these guys? Because I do think they're going to have a good left side of the line. Uh, Morgan Moses, who they signed as a street free agent from, from Washington, is a decent player, and he's certainly an upgrade over George Fant that they had there last year. But I still don't think they're all that good there, and center and right guard are still average at best. So I think that the Jets have some issues on the offensive line, just like everybody else outside of the Patriots in this division. Uh, they've added a lot of talent, but I just think this is this is going to be a rebuilding year, and it's really – I think if you're the Jets and you're Robert Sala, you're just trying to get guys experience this year, put them in position to where it pays off next year or the year after that, because I, I have a hard time seeing it all come together in year one. Yeah, the way I see it is, listen, the Jets organization, the whole Mike McCagnan, Adam Gase disaster, they're still recovering from that. The best news for Jets fans is that it does seem like Joe Douglas has a plan, which is nice. And he has infused this roster with some talent. Uh, the question with Zach Wilson is, can he handle the pressure? Can he handle the tight windows at BYU? It was an offense that, you know, gave him time. He wasn't really dealing with getting hit. The question is, with that offensive line, as you mentioned, there are some holes. Will they be able to protect well enough for him? And if not, does he turn into a pumpkin during his rookie season? But I, I like a lot of what they did. I, I think Douglas brought in some talented guys. I don't know if it's going to just all fit together in year one, like, ta-da, it's unbelievable. We just put it all together, and, you know, we mixed some young and old, and it was a perfect combination. I also always wonder about a rookie head coach. I know. I understand. I've heard all the talk about Robert Sala. People are in love with him because he jumps up and down on the sidelines, and every single game that San Francisco was on, they would pan to him, and he, he got more camera time than Kyle Shanahan at times. I understand the love for Robert Sala, and I get Richard Sherman and guys like that speaking up for their coach. He could end up being great, or he could be a complete dud. None of us know how many guys who are star coordinators and the next guy to take over end up being a head coach, and they can't handle it. Maybe Sala can handle it. I don't think we know that until we see it. So I'm not going to sit here and say they made a tremendous hire in Robert Sala. We don't know. So we'll see how that works out. They're also very young, and I think their secondary sucks. So <laughs> if they can, you know, if, if they can, I mean, I'll give, you know, Marcus May is okay. But, yeah. you know, when you look at the rest, I think that secondary uh, needs help. I don't think they're there yet. What I would say to Jets fans, and, and I know a few guys uh, who, who love the Jets, and they know this, I think, this is not the year. It's the beginning of the plan. Maybe next year you're looking at, you know, eight, nine wins, and then maybe you pop in 2023. This season, I could see them win five games. I could see them win seven games, somewhere in that area, but they're just not ready yet. So there you go. Yeah. The AFC East, I think Greg and I agree on pretty much everything. The Buffalo Bills are the favorites, but they're probably not as big of a favorite as some of the national media will tell you they are. I think the Patriots are the second best team on paper right now in this division. 
I think the Dolphins are right behind them, and the Jets are bringing up the rear. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. You know, this this might change as we get ready to kick off the football in September. We'll see how the next few weeks play out. But I think that's, uh, you know, kind of the the solid grouping. And the only issue that some may have is flip-flopping New England and Miami. Maybe some people believe Miami is better than New England. Uh, I don't. But let's talk about mm-hmm. how the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore uh, we'll just touch on this for a couple of minutes. He spoke with yep. Joseph Anderson over the weekend. Uh, pretty much the gist, he wants to get paid. He believes he deserves to get paid. One of the things that jumped out at me as far as the quote to Josina was, you know, are you going to be ready for camp? And he said something along the lines of, if I need to be. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this kind of starts the discussion that you and I touched on a little bit, but really didn't dive deep into you know, is he going to be out there for camp? Is he going to show the Patriots that he's healthy? Or does he sit back and say, no, I'm going to wait. I'm making $7 million on the base or so right now. You guys went and spent hundreds of millions of dollars in free agency. I deserve a pay raise. And I'm not going to risk further injury or doing something to my body until you show me the proper, quote-unquote, respect. What do you make of the comments to Josina Anderson, Greg? And are we pretty much just at a stalemate right now for the next few weeks with Gilmore? Sure seems like it. I mean, I I don't think that I don't think much has changed with his comments. And I, I think that look, I think Stefan was just being honest. And yeah, he thinks he has a certain worth. Uh I would say under normal circumstances, that would probably align with the Patriots, especially considering they haven't done anything at the cornerback position, draft, free agency, you know, really nothing. And, uh, but, and, and I just don't think that that gets resolved that, you know, because of the injury situation and how Stefan's play declined a little bit last year. I, I don't see how that resolves itself without Stefan coming to camp, taking his physical taking part, getting off a pup, and who knows when that might happen. I mean, I think in all likelihood, he reports he doesn't pass his physical because of his leg, and he's on PUP, reserve PUP, until he does pass his physical, which I think will happen probably closer to the season. And look, I'm just guessing. Uh, I'm not telling you that I know. Um, And I don't see how the Patriots give him a huge raise. Now, and I think you've brought it up, Nick. Could they find some situation where it's incentive-based, where they're like, look, Stefan, we want you to get your money. We're happy to pay you. But we can't, you can't expect us to go on a leap and a prayer where we haven't even seen you on a practice field. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to give you, you know, per game, whatever, incentives, whatever. And if if you hit it, if we hit it, then you're at like – Fifteen million dollars for the season, okay? Right. You know, all fair, and then then we we part ways or we discuss a longer term deal during the season or after the season. But I just don't see how the Patriots, unless they're very very generous, that they all of a sudden pony up and they say, "Oh yeah, sure, Stefan, you know that list of cornerbacks that you tweeted about and were complaining about? Uh, we're gonna boot you boost you up there into the top five, coming off of a torn quad." I, I just don't see how that happens. And so I think this goes for a while. I think that Stefan's going to have to report. 
He's going to he's gonna have to show that he's healthy. I think they do find some common ground that's smart for both sides. Gilmore's agent's very smart. We know that uh, Gilmore's very – what's the word I would use? Um, business – he has a lot of business savvy when it comes to his contract. He knows his worth. He's not going to cheap out. Um, and, and, and so I do think this gets resolved later in training camp. But I do think it gets resolved. I think he's happy. I think he plays well here. And uh, I think they go from there. Yeah. I mean, I think he does get back. I, I just don't see them working out a trade so late. I don't think he wants to be dealt. He said that no. to Josina. I don't think they want to deal him. I think something gets done. The one interesting point is that they don't have the Tom Brady security blanket anymore. And what I mean by that is, you know, in past years, you might be able to apply a little bit of pressure to a player in this situation and say, hey, look, you know, Tom took a little less. He's the best player in the game. You know, how about you taking a little bit less? Patriots don't really have that angle to work off of right now. So uh, Gilmore, the only thing I'll say is every player has the right to believe they're worth their worth. It's tough to argue that he's not worth more money than $7 million. I think all of us would have him as a top five cornerback, if not the best cornerback in the league. He's you know, I would have him in the top three at least. So he certainly deserves the more money, but the Patriots, you know, they kind of have the leverage because he's got the one-year deal left. So he can't do much of anything but say, I'm going to sit out. And if you sit out, I don't know how that helps you. Are you going to walk into next season being 31 years old, not playing a full year after a quad injury and surgery? So he knows he's got to eventually get on the field. The Patriots know they eventually have to have him on the field. That tells me it'll get done. The only thing I would say, other than that, before we move on, is that I, I do wish the Patriots invested in a cornerback in the draft because I think that would have given them a little bit more leverage and you would have felt a little bit better about this secondary depth. McCourty walks. Uh, J.C. Jackson's been good, but how much of that is Gilmore helping him? And Jalen Mills, we've talked about him. I don't think he's the answer at corner. So I, I would have loved to see the Patriots invest in a cornerback in the draft. They didn't. Uh, listen, that's that's me picking. You know, that's a little nitpick. I thought their mm -hmm. offseason was terrific overall, but I would have liked to see something done. Uh, do we care about Cassius Marsh and what he said, Greg? If, I don't. Yeah, but I, I don't understand why this why some Patriots fans get all riled up about Cassius Marsh and how he came here and he didn't have any fun and he didn't get his lunch. Somebody <laughs> should have gotten him. Somebody should have gotten him a little Patriots like lunch pail and he filled it up his, every he day. His, he wanted his chicken tender and fries with honey mustard on the side. He wanted his kid's meal for lunch. I mean that. And, and I was waiting for him to say like, he didn't get his nap time in the morning. Like, <laughs> you know, did he need his, did he need his knapsack? <laughs> and uh, it's like my, my, my son, when he left uh, my wife, a note that said uh, when he was in preschool, he said, mommy, remember my rest towel. Um, and, and I think that I think that Cassius Marsh needed his he needed a few more naps. He needed a few more lunchtime. Did he want a book club, too, while he was here? Like, look, it's Cassius Marsh is on his like eighth NFL team. We all know his deal. Plenty of people have played here and liked it. Is it hard? Yes. Is it? Are the, do they win because it's hard? Yes. And so it fits for. It's just like any other job. You, you some people fit certain places and some people don't. And uh, Cassius Marsh just did not fit here. 
it was a disaster the whole time. He he was a terrible player. I can't believe they actually gave up something for him in a trade with Seattle. And just just ignore him. He's a big baby who couldn't hack it here. Plenty of other players have. Be happy with the guys who have stuck around a long time. And there's a lot of those players who continually re-upped with the Patriots. There's a reason why Cassius Marsh keeps talking about the Patriots. It's because Cassius Marsh knows that'll get himself in the headlines and, and he'll have something to say and maybe somebody will want to talk to him. It's Cassius Marsh. I'm moving on. BostonSportsJournal.com yeah. member question of the day. Check him out over at BSJ. $39.99 annual plan. Top-notch analysis of all the Boston pro sports. If you're a patch junkie, of course this means you get access to a ton of video analysis that Bedard does on the coaches film and direct access to him in weekly chats. Let's go to the crazy world of Troy Brown. So this wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement, but I figured it was a good talking point. So That is true. That is true. It is a statement, not necessarily a question. And I, I do wonder if this person is related to Dalton Keene. But mm-hmm. here we go. Here's what the, the crazy world of Troy Brown had to say. Uh, Keene is a big twitch tight end. He's a big Edelman, Greg. Uh, it's up to McDaniel <laughs> to work him in. That's what the statement says. It's up to McDaniels to work him in. Loved his college tape. Kid played hard and tough. Hate to lose that. We're always too impatient with rookies. Let's see how this plays out. I still have confidence in Dalton Keene. So a little background on this. This came off of my Sunday column where I did questions on five key Patriots heading into 2021. So sort of lingering questions. And if people want to you know, make sure their BSJ memberships are uh, are up to date and want to read this. So the other questions were, can Isaiah Wynn be effective without Joe Tooney, which I think is a legit question because uh, I think that Wynn really benefited from uh, Tooney. And now he's going to have, you know, Michael Wenu, who, you know, didn't hasn't really played there in the NFL. Is J.C. Jackson really headed for elite status, which I think some people take for granted, which I'm not really sure about. Will Damian Harris be a playmaker? I think is a legit question. I think we, I know you're the charter member of the Damian Harris fan club (laughs) and, and I'm, I'm right there with you, but you know, will he stay on the field and will he do that? And also another question was how does Kyle Duggar get enough playing time? Cause I think that kid needs to play to get better, but with Phillips and McCourty and uh, Jalen Mills, you know, I I just worry about, I, I worry a little bit about Kyle Duggar sort of being forgotten and just pegged as a sub package linebacker slash safety right and the other question i had was what style of fullback do the patriots want and what does that mean for dalton Keene? and so not to get all into it but basically last year the patriots started with the idea of okay james devlin's gone we we're moving away from the sledgehammer only fullback and we want to bring in more athletic ability more mismatched stuff in the passing game, sort of like the 49ers have done with Kyle Juszczyk. And the bigger question is, does Josh McDaniels and the Patriots, do they still want to do that? Because um, Dan Vitale is gone. He was signed in free agency to come over and be that athletic uh, fullback. He opted out, never played. I think he retired. I think he might have retired this offseason. I think he did, yeah. And uh, so that leaves you with Jakob Johnson, who we all love, who know, you know, we all know he hits the whole heart and blows people up. And I love, I love the guy. And I think there's a value to that. I think that the Patriots always like that, but 
considering where they are this year with the two receivers, two tight ends, you still have Devin Asiasi. You might have Matt Lacoste for how long. Do, when when it comes to configuring a roster, can you does call does Dalton Keene still have a place on this roster? I understand when they drafted him, he did, but has the has the math changed because of what they want to do at fullback? And I think it's a legit question. And, and you know, so the the Troy Brown there, uh, crazy world of Troy Brown. My my question and commentary about that wasn't about Dalton Keene. I think he has the potential to be a good player. I also liked his college film. I think that he has a chance to be sort of like a modern-day crash Jim Jensen, who was one of my favorite Dolphins growing up. Um, but my question was more about have the cha- have the Patriots, out of necessity, change the the direction of their offense and does Dalton Keene still fit into that and I think it's a I think it's a legit question and I think it's going to be a question that goes on all the way through training camp to final cutdowns where the Patriots say they look at the math and they're just like all right well how many wide receivers are we taking more importantly how many tight ends slash fullbacks are we taking I mean if you if you're going Johnny Smith Hunter Henry and say Devin Asiasi because I I think what we saw in the offseason practices led you to believe okay there might be something there so those three plus Jakob Johnson that's four Dalton Keene is going to be a fifth like really does he do enough is he going to do enough is he going to be good enough to get on the field in that Kyle you role this year to earn a roster spot I just have a lot of questions about that so I thought it was a legitimate question I'm not saying I had the answers but I think I think his roster spot is definitely up for grabs depending on what happens with injuries, direction of the offense once we get to camp. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call him a big Edelman, but I, I like yeah. him. I like him. You like him. This podcast, mm-hmm. we are both fans of Dalton Keene. We think he can fit as an H-back if the Patriots feel like they have a spot for him. And I think he could add to this team. But as you said, it's a numbers game. And when you bring in the tight ends they brought in, the receivers they brought in, it gets a little tougher to make the team. That's just kind of the nature of the game. I hope they hold on to him. I hope they find a way because as the crazy world of Troy Brown pointed out, and I think this is true, a lot of people get impatient with rookies. And I think looking back at last year with the COVID situation and all of that, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to all the rookies from last year. I am. That's just how it is. And if they stink this year, then we can reevaluate and talk about it. But due to the circumstances of no rookie camp, no mini camp, no training camp, no preseason games, no joint practices, and getting plopped into a season. Keen was hurt as well last year, which is another question because, again, at the beginning of camp season here, he was a little banged up again. Can he get on the field? Can he stay healthy? Because if he goes through the whole preseason banged up, I don't think he's going to make the team. But we both like him. He could find a spot. We hope he finds a spot because that means the Patriots have a specific role for him Will they? We don't know. The Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles wrapping it up. We gave you a look at the AFC East. We talked about Stephon Gilmore. Uh, We didn't talk much about, thankfully, Cassius Marsh. And there's your takes on uh, Dalton Keene. A lot of information for you. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, we'll see you. 